We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now New Galaxy Broadcasting presents Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, a program addressing the grave challenges to human and citizen rights in America and the rest of the world. How can we, the people of Earth, take back the power and privileges granted to us by God and address so significantly in the Declaration of Independence? Our rights are inalienable, that is, given by God and incapable of being taken away from or given by another. These rights are the basis of liberty, the foundation of all life and happiness. The Coalition of Planetary Empowerment is an organization designed to give its members tools and information to empower them personally, in relationships, and in business and employment, but also to give them a voice and the ability to help transform political and corporate governance to support the true needs and desires of people throughout the world. Inalienable and Free focuses on the need for government and corporate business interests to be responsive to the will and desire of their constituents and consumer shareholders. Welcome to Inalienable and Free. The topic of this program is Imagineering the Southern Border, America Held Hostage by Presidential Mythmaking. You know, there are many attempts to understand Trump's approach to politics and why it has brought him to such a unique stage in the world's economic and political platform. For many, it is a counterproductive strategy, sabotaging the somewhat general civility in American political discourse, the environmental and financial protections for the citizens of the United States, the opportunity for peaceful coexistence with the rest of the world, the positive relationship we have had for decades with allies, and particularly NATO, the well-being, financial prosperity of the middle class, and recently the quasi-successful health protections for many of our citizens, and so on. For others, Donald Trump is the protector of true American culture, most securely based on Western cultural and religious values, the ethnic purity of real American culture, a valiant warrior against the deep state with its globalist authoritarian agenda, a fighter for economic and military supremacy of the rest of the world, the glamorizer of and best living advocate for the unitary presidency, a firm supporter of the American worker, etc. For one person, Jeremy Montanez, this conflict between the two views of Trump and the potential toxicity of this contradiction came into stark contrast when he was invited to participate in a CNN panel. As a result of what happened on that program, including the fact that it was edited in a way that distorted Jeremy's own publicly intended sentiments, Jeremy's life was altered. His few minutes on this 15-minute program was followed by extreme, continual death threats and harassment. I am pleased to have Jeremy as a guest today at a time when the world in the United States is really grossly affected by the Trump shutdown and a new series of Trump's ever-present omnipresidential shadow has spread across our country. But before we go into the details about what's going on in the shutdown and the Trumpian obsession with the southern border, let's welcome Jeremy to our program. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Johnny. Well, Jeremy, I, I'd like you to go into uh, what happened on that CNN panel and its immediate aftermath so we can sort of get a, uh, a background. Yes. As you said, I was invited uh, by CNN. They flew me out there. They found uh, some several comments that I put on Facebook that I don't even know which ones they were. And uh, they contacted me. They invited me. They flew me out there. 
And on that panel, they asked me very specific questions, how I feel about this president, um, what changed my mind as far as being a former supporter of his. And my blatant, very outspoken response was that he's a monster and he's a bigot and it's going to be a terrifying time for this country. And uh, they also questioned me on how I feel about, let's say, the Republican Party. And I said, I don't hate the Republican Party. Mind you, I am a liberal and I would consider myself a Democrat. I'm not registered in any party. But I said very good things about uh, the GOP itself and President George W. Bush. And all that was cut out. And uh, after, at, immediately after the interviews were done, they put me as their headline, calling Trump a monster and a bigot. And from that point on, I have uh, received a defamation. I've been called a CNN plant. I've been called a socialist. I've been called just a lot of things. Now, mind you, uh, people uh, hacked my Facebook. They uh, hacked my YouTube. So I've had to change my identity on uh, social media. And I've also had to relocate for fear of my own life. So instead of living in California, I now live in Washington State. Well, that's pretty bad. Could you tell me what the the purpose of the panel was, where all these people, uh, Trump uh, and sort of dissidents, or were they uh, for Trump or mixed? What what was it about? Well, what they tried to do was they put six people on there. It was supposed to be three people that don't support him anymore that did support him. And then it was three people that just continue to support him. And the other thing they cut out was that I supported Trump only two months before the election. So people found videos of me, let's say, four or five months before the election condemning Trump. And I did. I did make videos like that. But the thing is, is that I was convinced by my mother, for example, who was a staunch Trump supporter to at least listen to him, look at his interviews, research him and listen, just just listen. So that's what I did. And the problem with me was that I was not going to support Hillary Clinton. Uh, she's a criminal and she's the most established candidate we've ever had. And I didn't know what to do because I'm not going to sit out an election. It's too important to me. So I listened to what he had to say, and I went all the way back to where he would say in some interviews he did support universal health care and things like that. Of course, that's when he was considered a quote-unquote Democrat. But I thought to myself, maybe that Trump will – maybe he'll combine himself from that time to this time because we didn't know what he was going to do. He's a non-politician. Um, he's very um, unpredictable. But I had no idea that he was going to become the nightmare that he now is. You know, his history, actually, in the, I don't know, five or six years before he changed parties, he, he actually ran for president on a, on a third party. Right, uh, yes. So he did a lot of different things. Uh, and, yeah, he had a sort of firmer, perhaps a firmer uh, relationship with what you call liberal ideas. And then, but he yeah, was he all, was friends with the Clintons. He was friends with, you know, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton. You saw them going to parties together and stuff like that. So it's just like, what the hell happened? Well, another thing is, uh, you know, that uh, he had a, a very close relation, a fairly close relationship with Nixon. And Nixon actually wrote him a letter uh, talking about his possibilities uh, for be becoming president. Mm. So, you know, he was someone who said, well, I support both parties. He would support both parties right, yes, financially. Yes. So kind of like me. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was somebody who was, uh, he wasn't. He wasn't tied to one party, but there was a, a sentiment that he was liberal, but he practiced all kinds of racism, I believe, in, in, his, in his history. I saw a lot of that, and uh, certainly you can see he goes all over the board with people, uh, race, uh, their races, their ethnicity, their religious beliefs, in, in, in trying to create a, a, an attraction for this, his base, yes. which is... Uh, 
basically, I would say a lot of them have been uh, white male blue collar voters without a college education. Yes. And, oh, uh, yes. And, and so, and also you see him doing sort of um, saying things or not saying things to, to not turn off the white supremacists that he is, whose interests he's ignited. Exactly. Well, he's opened the door to, you know, uh, most of his supporters, they, but deep down, I, you know, they were always racist. But what he did was that he opened the door for it to be okay. He opened the door for racism to be um, something that is now a thing. Uh, which, uh, you know, th things that were taboo three or four years ago are now okay. Well, I call it, this is not exactly psychological language, precisely psychological language, but I call it transference. When you transfer your authority over to somebody else, so that they, they so someone can say, well, if I walk down, you know, Fifth Avenue, I shot somebody, everything would be cool because they wouldn't care. Uh, and it, there's a certain sense that they are, immune to his, uh, you know, whatever he does, because they are so transferred to him. They feel it. They feel he's so he's so much of an authoritarian figure that even if they can't find the justification, they'll think he has a secret plan. You know. Yes. He's dealing now with some very big issues. I mean, this shutdown is extremely uh, toxic, wouldn't you say? Oh, I yes, absolutely. How how do you view some of the uh, consequences of the shutdown? Well, I mean, people are going to be out of work. We have 800,000 employees, maybe even more, uh, that are not being fed. Their, their families aren't being fed. They're not getting uh, the pay that they need to get. I feel that it's going to have long-term consequences. We're going to start having problems with, you know, government programs as far as uh, uh, Medi-Cal offices, um, food stamp offices, you know, and it's sad. You know, what makes me sad is that, you know, he's doing this all in favor of, and to f of a of a racist bigoted wall, um, his dislike and hatred for the Latin American people is astounding. And I, my part being half Mexican, half white, I have a lot of uh, strong Mexican culture. So this is a personal thing for me. And um, I just think that it's awful that he has such a black heart that he can't even acknowledge the fact that he's destroying our own citizens' lives by uh, doing the shutdown. But he doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care about anybody or anything except himself. And um, as long as he's president, we're going to suffer at the mercy of this man. Well, another aspect of it that I that, that two things that I found very disturbing is that they've uh, re reduced the number of, of air traffic controllers. Yes. And also, really dangerous, really dangerous, reduced the number of food inspectors. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I read that uh, two days ago. Yeah. I also noticed another thing that he did that really is annoying. I mean, he is... Uh, they were these people were supposed to get a raise in the federal the federal employees and during mm -hmm. this time that he was creating this emergency he he called that off he called off that that wage increase so that was really oh that's really interesting timing but i've seen things like it before another thing that he did recently is he's threatened to you know i i was involved in bbs radio that's where i was broadcasting live from at the time they were in um, Paradise, California. <laughs> they yeah. were totally destroyed. Their houses and, and the studio was destroyed. And th they have managed to move and rebuild it. But the point is, he was, at that time, he was saying, well, the wildfires are the result of the state of California not taking care right. of things. First of all, right. they're not really necessarily wildfires because of uh, just the way they were ignited and where they traveled. 
Uh, they were more like urban fires of a sort. And secondly, these people were re really destroyed. And, you know, it was like most of the uh, so-called, you know, forest areas were controlled by the federal government. And people came out, including the head of, you know, the uh, Association of Firefighters in California, and said, hey, you're wrong. You completely got this wrong. And he didn't get it. He's repeated that. He's saying, oh, there's mismanagement. And uh, you have lots of people hurt, and he's, he's, he's willing to take away their benefits, as well as the benefits from Puerto Rico and other uh, disaster areas, which he's, if, if he goes into this national emergency. But actually, well, the Puerto Rico thing is because he's such a bigot. Like when they had that hurricane, you know, his treatment towards that island was through pure bigotry. If it had happened to, you know, any other state. Uh, he would have been more quick uh, to help these people. And he's also threatening, yes, you're right, he's threatening to take away FEMA from California because he wants it, that money to uh, fund his wall. So we have a real lot of problems. But right now, if you'll forgive me, Jeremy, we're going to take a short break and be right back. That's fine. Thank you. This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. One of the most important positioning strategies in this world of social media is the profile. This could be, of course, a profile on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, speaking of the most popular. But profiles are also used in personal and business websites, prospectuses, brochures, authors' bios for books and publisher presentations on record albums and film investment presentations. We've been involved in these kinds of content and we'd be happy to help you put your best foot forward. To learn more about New Galaxies, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. Spy Files is another riveting component of Kenneth Eads' Brent Marks legal thriller series. When Michael Fine, a young journalist, asked Brent Marks to assist him in a freedom of information request, classified documents are accidentally released to him by the FBI. When they're not returned, there's big legal trouble afoot for him and for his attorney, who are facing criminal prosecution. The story, however, starts off with a murder. Here's an excerpt. The Spy Files by Kenneth Eade Read by Maxwell Zener when Chan approached the lab, he could see that the lights were on. That's strange. I'm sure I turned them off. Maybe it's the janitor. He unlocked the lab door and startled the man who was sitting at his station. Chan's monitor was illuminated. What are you doing there? The man rose from his seat and looked to his right and then to his left, deciding whether to run or stand his ground. Chan approached him. I'm calling security. You shouldn't be here. Just back off, Chinaman, and I won't have to hurt you. Chan put his right hand on his stun gun, searching for the nerve. With his left hand, he picked up the phone and started to punch in the number for security with his thumb. Put it down, Chinaman. Chan looked up to see the man pointing a gun right at him. He set down the phone slowly. You're going to shoot me? Just walk away and nobody gets hurt. Just walk away. You didn't see anything. Chan took two paces back. He bent to pick up his briefcase. Leave it. Just keep moving. Chan let go of the handle of the briefcase. The man approached him slowly. Chan took another two steps back and the man took several steps forward. Chan put his hand on the door and the man gently pushed him through it. Taking his chance, Chan rotated, slammed the taser against the man's body and let it rip. The man dropped the gun and staggered back, bracing himself against a table. 
Chan came back into the lab and lunged for his briefcase. With a surge of energy and anger, the man tackled Chan, slamming him back against a lab table. Chan fell hard, hitting his head. Chan lay there still. The man panicked and felt his carotid artery. There was no pulse. Oh, shit. What a mess. He pulled his cell phone out of his pocket. From The Spy Files by Kenneth Eade Read by Maxwell Zener. Here's a song sung by Rob Bruce with acoustic guitar of Michael Fairley with Cy Wood's violin called A Hard Road to Hope. Take your dreams from you. 
dreams are dreams, and when you wake, you know you still got a hard road to hold. When the working day is over, who holds the key? Who calls quitting time? But tell me, who has the music, the soul, the rhythm, and the rhyme? The nights when that moon is down, out comes a harp and a banjo. Let you forget, but you still got a hard road to hold. We're back on Inalienable and Free. Uh, we're discussing the Imagineering on the southern border, America held hostage by presidential myth-making. We're with Jeremy Montanez, who has um, been speaking about his problems with a CNN panel and how that generated a lot of danger and destruction in his life. A few minutes of fame and uh, a lot of minutes of harassment. But then we've gone into really discussing some of the details of the shutdown, which is all based on the uh, southern border situation and the president's obsession with uh, creating what we believe to be creating sort of a myth about what's going on there. Let's discuss that, Jeremy. Let's discuss what's really going on in the border and what what Trump is saying. Let's do it. Go ahead. (laughs) Your turn. I Well, I feel that, you know, like I said before, that this border is nothing more than a show of him being the racist that he is, I think it's a racist wall. And I think that the Democrats, especially now that they're in Congress, need to call him out for what he is. You never hear Nancy Pelosi or uh, Senator Schumer call him a racist or say they think he's a racist. You never hear the senators, Congress people, uh, Congresswomen's or men's ever say that, except for Alexandria, Alexandria Cortez. She did come out and say flat out, yeah, there's no doubt about it that he's a racist. And I was very proud of her for doing that because you need to stop 
you know, going around the block and trying to make excuses. Well, this is, you know, for this reason or this is for that reason. He wants that wall for his his hatred towards the Latin American people. That's how I feel. Um, that is my opinion. Nothing's going to change that. Uh, some people, you know, disagree with me on that. But when it's all said and done, that's what it is. It has nothing to do with anything else. Uh, he made it very clear when he announced his presidency that he had this disdain for the Mexican people uh, more than anything else. And you mean he when, he, when he said that they were murderers and rapists? And But let me ask you something, Jeremy. How much of this is real racism, which is coming from the heart, where yeah. you really hate somebody? And how much is it, considering his going back and forth between the parties and his liberal relationships and all that, his relationship with liberal uh, liberals in the Democratic Party. And do you think that how much of it is real hatred and how much is it is just manipulation to gain a base? Well, I think that he, I believe that he is a bigot and a racist at heart. I think that's who he is. And I think that he, like I said, he's okayed it. So what he does is that he throws this racism out because his base likes it. They want this, including my own mother. She is a, a staunch Trump supporter. And one of the main reasons is for uh, his stance on immigration. So I even called her a bigot. And I think that, you know, she's a good person. I love her to death, but I think she's a racist. I'm not saying that every single person that supports him is a racist, though. Um, uh, if when it involves the wall, though, and people are supporting that and the reasoning behind it, do I feel that they are racist? Yes, I do. I think that anybody that supports this wall that supports him has racial tendencies. Now, they can make excuses saying it's for our national security or whatever. But if you look back in time, the last five or six uh, shootings we had at schools or malls or whatever, they were all, you know, conservative Trump supporting white people. So I believe that our biggest threat in this country right now, if you want a national emergency, it's this president and his administration and his minions, his supporters. I feel that they're dangerous. Look what they did to me. Well, let me uh, let me go to another side of it that really is puzzling. You know, we're talking about him possibly in some ways uh, just manipulating people. Look at his relationship with the evangelists. I think that's very interesting because he's not an evangelist. And no, he, he certainly doesn't believe in uh, the entirety of the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's excluding women from that. <laughs> I mean, you know right. what I mean? Okay, so let's go back to the situation with Jerusalem when they moved the, uh, they moved the embassy over there. When he opened the Jerusalem, he had an evangelical person to, to uh, you know, initiate some of it. And that person was someone who believed, that, and, and it has been on the record, that Jews would go to hell. <laughs> so it was very interesting to see how he's just so solidly with the evangelists, and yet it, it involves certain contradictions. Even even the bringing this guy into uh, into the ceremony in Jerusalem, probably nobody really knew that, but uh, it was it was actually publicized. Um, so there's a sort of, in other words, he's not, he is kind of pretending to be very close to the evangelical point of view, but he obviously isn't because he's an adulterer. And yet, no, I guess. you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, so there's certain deception. And in other words, he's forming alliances like with the Jewish, uh, you know, state of Israel. And you could say he's done this before for his own mercenary reasons. I believe, and and part of that is is the uh, other really dangerous thing that he's doing, which is participating in all these wars and all this killing of civilians throughout the world. Yeah, I highly agree. My opinion on building uh, the embassy there, I wasn't uh, very 
happy about that. But then again, I'm not a supporter of that country. In my situation, I was brought up Jewish. I have a more eclectic viewpoint than any one religion at this point. But right, yeah. my mother's Jewish. My father's Jewish. My relatives were killed in the war. Ten of them were supposedly killed in the Warsaw Ghetto, and many others died in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And recently, I mean, within the last three or four years, I saw some stuff that was happening in, in Gaza. A- Abby Martin visited Gaza. You know who she is? I do. Okay, well, she, uh, she's a very courageous woman. And I actually saw, I, I never really knew what was happening in Gaza. It was always very abstract to me. I'm mm-hmm. kind of new to being this interested in politics, and I was astounded. It was horrifying to me. Yeah. And, then, and then I began to, to study a little bit about the history and about the, um, the outrageous behavior of um, Israel towards the Palestinians, the settlements that they, they continually do, the breaking of Security Council resolutions constantly as they did with that embassy move. So I, I'm I'm not a fan of what Israel is doing at all. Yeah, and and, and a lot know. and a lot of people who are Jewish feel the same way. Right. Uh, so it, it's really um, disgraceful, and that alliance is a disgrace. And of course, it's affecting Syria. It's a, and, and a lot of it is probably about Iran. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you know, I'm not happy about all that. That's the thing. Is that this? I talk about how well I'm. I'm thinking of how a shadow is covering our country, but it's also covering the entire world. I mean, don't you think that if we were just to list the things that were were really upsetting, we could probably spend 10 or 15 minutes just listing them without even discussing them? I believe so. I mean, there's so much going on that is changing the nature of America. So let's go back to um, the southern border. I believe, if I recall from our former conversations, that one of the things that really bothered you was the, uh, the the caging of children and the separating of them from their families. Oh, yes. Now, I actually think that was the... I had already chronicled a lot of things that Trump had done, but that, to me, was like state-sponsored kidnapping. Right, yes. Taking the people out of... the, the Separating the parents, but they didn't just do that. They threw the children somewhere else in the country, and sometimes they deported the parents. Yeah, I mean, that is outrageous. How can people think that uh, they want to deal with the um, deterrence factor? That's why it's being done. But the fact is, by doing that kind of deterrence, you are creating basically uh, crimes against humanity and very, oh, yeah, seri- very serious crimes. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, that kind of kidnapping and then putting children in situations where they're, they're being fed drugs or they're not safe you know, the wrong types of drugs to calm them down and, uh, and, you know, the emotional impact of being separated from your parents and the same thing for the parents themselves, of course. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an a- absolutely outrageous type of, of behavior, and it's really hard to believe that. I mean, I was just shocked, even after all the things he's done, because he's killing children all over the world. In, in, right. You know, like in Yemen. They're, we're responsible for Yemen. And um, so anyway, what he's, done, what he's done at the southern border is uh, inhumane. And the two children have died because of him that we know of uh, in the country uh, that were from uh, El Salvador or the southern border, anywhere from the southern border. Two children have died. He that's his fault. He should own up to that. Instead, he's blaming the Democrats, which is completely ludicrous. His just his he has such a black heart that he even he can't 
come out and just say he's sorry about that, apologize to the parents. He comes out and says that tear gas is not the tear. You know, somebody asked him, how do you feel about tear gassing children? And instead of saying something else, he said, um, well, it's not the tear gas is not that dangerous or something like that, you know, but it's a simple fact. Well, I'll tell you what, what we uh, I would like to discuss in the third portion of our program uh-huh. Is some of the paradigms that can let's get more into what's having happening in the southern border and maybe focus on also what could be do- done differently. What's going wrong that can be corrected? How massive an effort do we have to make to actually correct what's going on? And we'll be right back after these messages. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. That's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Dr. Hugo Rodier is a medical doctor trained in nutritional medicine with a special interest in intestinal disorders. You may schedule a consult via Skype or telephone by calling 801-898-3317 or via email by accessing his website, hugorodier.com. H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. No insurance accepted, but a form is available to apply for reimbursement from your insurance, except for Medicare. Dr. Rodier speaks English, French, and Spanish. Well, Jeremy, we're back. We're talking about the southern border, the myth-making of the president, and we're talking about some of the other abuses that just fit into the same little box. All these things... The box is overflowing with changes to our basic beliefs about this country and its its democratic foundations. We're not going to really go into all that in, in this particular program. What we are going to go into is what's going on in the southern border and how can we prevent it? Because this is my picture of the southern border. you got a lot of asylum seekers, some, right. some individuals, many with families, and you probably have some people over the with some kind of a criminal history. I am very doubtful if there's any evidence of there there's real lot of terrorists or anything like that, or that drug people are really using the crossing these borders illegally for for drug purposes. I think most of the people who are crossing, from everything I've heard, you know, they're people who need help. And right. They don't want to go to the wait for the uh, the whole asylum thing, and they think if they get into this country, they thought at that time they thought they if they can get into this country, they are absolutely going to be able to get a hearing at some point. 
But no, they're, they're, they were going ahead and separating families and uh, deporting people, even ones with children, and taking their children and putting them elsewhere and even putting them in different parts of the country. But let's talk about the people who are coming here. How do you describe their problems? Why are they coming here? Well, I believe that they come here because something is going on in their country that they just can't handle anymore. Maybe their lives are being threatened, um, especially that is um, even more southern than Mexico. You have countries where, you know, they're run by military, uh, secret uh, government people. There's cartels, there's shootouts, and uh, people fear for their lives or fear fear for their children. But I said in another interview that I did as of right now, if I was living in these countries, I would not come to the U.S. I would not even risk it because there is a risk of you getting your child taken away from you. There is a risk of you going to jail. There is risks now. You can't just come here and feel like I'll be I'll be safe. Um, I don't think that they're safe. I have family down there right now on vacation that, yes, they have their proper documentation to get back into the country, but I fear them. I fear that for them, that something's going to happen. Well, I think that if I was going to, you know how they were saying, well, the Democrats are really behind this. Yes. Uh, and I think maybe it's possible that some some people, wealthy people who are, who are Democrats or even not Democrats are supporting this. But I wouldn't be, if I was a philanthropist, I would not be sending them to the border. Right. I would try to figure out something else. Well, so we need to figure out something else right now. How do we help these people? Let's say, I think you and I, because of our former discussions, we both believe that it's better to close the border and, and have people come in and do the legal thing that they need to. But, but well, I, don't believe borders, I don't believe borders should be closed, but I do believe that we have a different way to uh, do this without having to put up a bigoted racist wall. And well, that's what I, 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 I didn't mean – when I said close the border, I meant that people couldn't come in illegally. And I didn't mean – Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't mean a wall. I just oh, okay. meant that, that we would secure the border so that people really couldn't come in illegally. But – but it is idea. wrong not to let people, to help these people, whether they could come in legally or not come in e- legally. Uh, we, we need to help these people. How do we help them uh, if we're not going to, if, if we can't, say, put them in the border? And Mexico doesn't want them and the United States doesn't want them. Well, you don't. First of all, instead of this racist wall, you know, we need to increase the use of modern technology, including cameras, fixed towers and uh, aerial underground sensors. You know, violent drug cartels are using more modern technology modern technology to get across the border than we use to secure it. We can't double down on a 14th century solution to a 21st century challenge if we want a viable long-term solution. A physical barrier also doesn't address the illicit trafficking of people and narcotics. That's my view on it. Yeah, I think you have to have – what they should have done is they should have had a real summit – for the, all of the people in Congress, you know, and, uh, and other people, they should have had, had a summit with a lot of experts and both uh-huh. parties should come together and rationally discuss and figure out what it is because both the Democrats and the Republicans want border security. Right. And even I do. You know, people, people for some odd reason think that I'm for illegal immigration. And the thing of it is that I feel about that is that if people do get across the border do not give them benefits, do not give them health care, do not give them education, none of that BS. If they're going to be here illegally, strip them of those benefits because those are for us. Those are for the American people. And it angers me that we have certain states that care more about illegal immigrants than they do their own citizens. Yes, that bothers me. So I am not for illegal immigration. If they have to cross the border and they get through, all right, they get through. But do not give them benefits. 
Well, I don't quite see it that way. Um, I don't think I want people coming in here who, who don't get benefits, but I don't think they should come in here in the first place if they're, if they're going to, uh, if they're illegal. Why should they come here illegally and get benefits? If I went down to, I lived in no, Mexico I, I'm for saying, years. No, I, I'm saying they shouldn't come in at all if they're going oh. to. Well, yeah, you're very right about but that. But if they're here now, I think they should be, uh, and they, they have behaved themselves, I think they should be given a path to citizenship. I disagree with that, but I lived in a, I lived in Mexico for 16 years and I had to do everything the legal way. In fact, I almost was uh, kicked out of my school because I didn't have the documentation. I had to go to lawyers. I had to get a lot of things done. So if I had to do that the right way, then they should be doing it the right way. Well, I'm not saying they shouldn't be doing it the right way. And I'm not saying that they should not have in the past done it in the right way. But mm. there's a lot of reasons people come here because they fear they, they can't come in the right way. Or they feel that there's a real danger that um, they won't get in because if they have to wait in line forever, you know. Right. What I'm saying is, I think that the people here who have worked so hard, because I, I worked in Coachella because uh -huh. I worked for a rock station that was partially it was rock and Spanish station, and I I I, I have a, a sympathy for these people. I mean, they're they're doing really hard jobs, long hard hours, really difficult and even dangerous jobs. And, yeah. uh, and they're doing it for years and years and helping, uh, you know, employers save money, basically, and also because other people don't want to do it. And I don't think that they should be punished by being deported. No, I don't think that they should be deported, but I think that they uh, should at and, least. And if you strip their benefits, some of these people will will have the same problem that American citizens have when they don't have insurance or any kind of benefits. But well, that's my point, though. They shouldn't be getting a, a free ride while Americans suffer. Well, I'm not talking about people who are getting a free ride. I'm talking about people who are working really hard, who have been here for years and who have been working, you know, in, in um, largely agricultural jobs and other types mm -hmm. of jobs. Why mm -hmm. should they be punished? I mean, they came here for, for the same reason. You see, when you're born here, Mm -hmm. that, I, and I, you know, I was born here, okay? Uh, yeah, but none, of my, <laughs> but none of my relatives, you know, my relatives, two or three generations, none of them were here. Right. And so they were in Russia, they were in Romania, they were in Poland. And um, so I, I don't feel that just because you're born here doesn't make you such a, a wonderful person because here, and you have all these rights, but the fact is, is that most Americans don't pay any attention to, uh, in, in, to serious attention to what's going on in government. They vote on uh, party lines or they vote just based on sort of, they don't do any research. They, you cannot be an informed citizen without doing a certain amount of research and really trying to figure out what's right and wrong. But they right. Or they don't vote at all. And so you, you get people in this country and they're, yeah, they're, they're not really as well educated but they're they're really hardworking people. Why aren't they as good as Americans? Just they they came here because they wanted to. Right. They didn't just come here because of uh, some kind of. Uh, some of them came here. I'm sure some of them came here for those benefits, and they're not going to do anything. But that's that's another story. I don't agree with that. Those are people that um, they they don't really belong here. And, but then again, when you look at all the people in this country who are doing the same thing, there's a lot of those people. Maybe we should deport them. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, when it comes to, you know, and I'm very, like, for example, like my main issue is healthcare, you know, and what I would love is that everybody has it. I think it's a right. And, um, you know, I, I think like when it comes to benefits, like if we were to have something like that, where just everybody in the country was able to have healthcare, 
or you know a free public college education or something like that then i would be okay with it but the fact that i see people going you know struggling to get into college yet an illegal immigrant can get in there for free with no problem i see people struggling to get health care yet an illegal immigrant can get it with no problem yes, that's that is, uh, yeah that's obviously unfair and that's uh, not right well it's not it. right but that's a contextual thing that's not right it's more i mean the whole system is completely corrupted for that to happen which right. it is i want to get on to because we've only a few more minutes left okay so okay. Th- th- you see my concept which I've discussed in other programs, is to internationalize the borders. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying that you give up ownership, your country gives up ownership, but rather it opens them up to an agreement between countries in different parts of the world. Right. There's several, yeah. There are several sides to this. One thing is that I think they should do is they should set up intentional communities, communities where people can learn basic skills you know, self-sufficient promoting skills like carpentry and agriculture and things like that, like you would ha- like you might think of in a in a 1960s commune, which which is which is really a very interesting thing. And, and there these so-called intentional communities, they're sort of like that, whereas people participate in many different things in in, in making their community work. You right. know, so they might some of them might do car repair and part of the time, and part of the time they might uh, do dishes or cook or uh, or they might do some kind of agricultural work or they might paint but they do things more collectively more okay what do we really need to do here what do we need to do there and they actually make money on a communal basis but i'm not really ex- exactly saying that i'm just saying that people don't know even in this country how to do things they don't know they they're sort of stuck in a in a, a very narrow career choice right yeah Included, so, I'm included in that. Yeah, I understand that. So, so I think that people should have the opportunity to learn many things that would help them. And so that, if necessary, as these intentional communities grow and these people have, the, have certain skills and it's sort of organized properly, they could be moved to another country where they could actually set up their own little community. Mm-hmm. And in, in the meantime... People who, you know, so, so some manufacturer or agri- agricultural company says, hey, we need some people. They could be given temporary, uh, temporary visas to go in there and do their job and come back. But they have a place to come back to. And, and eventually they would either go to Mexico or the United States or they would go to, to uh, somewhere in Africa or Europe or even Asia. Yeah. Uh, that way we, would, we can't send them back to their country under certain circumstances, it really they, it really is a risk to their lives. And how can you have a deterrent situation where somebody comes here for, uh, over a thousand miles with their children? You put them in shackles, and then you separate from the, them from their children, and you think that oh, that'll be a deterrent. Why are you deterring them by destroying people's lives? They're entitled to their lives too. You know, it's all pure inhumanity, what uh, was going on and what is going down, on down at the southern border. You know, separating kids from their parents is not the answer. I mean, if he's trying to give them some kind of punishment, it's sad that he has such a black heart that he can't even for a minute have any kind of empathy for another person and think to himself, what would it be like if I had had my children separated from me? He doesn't care. He just does not care about anything or anybody. He does not care about his base. And that's one thing that I try to get his base to understand is that he does not care about you. He has developed a cult personality situation where people worship him like they worship Jim Jones. 
but he does not care about you people. You know, I try to tell it to my mother. Well, he does they, not. Well, he basically he's hypnotized them with his economics. They're really interested in their own personal and his security. racism. Yeah, and his uh, racism. Well, well, they already were mostly hypnotized, right? <laughs> but but yeah. the, I mean, what has attracted them to him is that he's he's going away from really the both parties, and he's and he's going to offer them prosperity, like cutting taxes by tr billions of dollars for the rich. That really helps them a lot because it's going to, of course, trickle down to them. You know, well, things for the like rich, that. Yeah. They're, but they're, for the modern, so, so what I'm saying, they, they think that it'll trickle down to them. They think that the tax cuts will bring them money. They think that his his health plan is going to work for them. But I don't think any of those things are going to work. We may be having an uptick in employment in a certain way, but who's getting employed? And what kind right. of jobs are they are they actually getting? I don't think that there's so much. I, I'm I I do think that he's done some things that probably are good. I don't like a lot of these fair trade agreements and so forth. But he hasn't done all that much. It's it, it's just that he. It's a deception for them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm going to say we're going to have to we're going to have to unfortunately leave. But I hope that we 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 will be able to continue this conversation at another point. Thank you for coming. excellent. Before we make our final goodbye, let's play a clip about a civil rights march in Alabama, featuring a song performed by the Roots called "Can't Turn Me Around," with some comments by Harry Belafonte and part of his speech by Martin Luther King. We'll see you Thank soon. You. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. A lot of people spat on us. A lot of white clanners were there. A lot of white supremacists. Oh, come on. Put a gun Just grab a flag right here. And further ahead still, segregationists have been at work too, putting up posters on the roadside accusing Dr. Luther King of being communist trained. Another propaganda too, this time from the air. Light planes are dropping leaflets, calling on white employers to stack their Negro work. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, turn me around. Turn me around, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. I just keep on walking, keep on talking, marching on the freedom land. Ain't gonna let nobody, can't let them turn me around, Lord. Turn me around. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. I just keep on walking, no, I keep on Marching on the freedom land Ain't gonna let no jailhouse Ain't let it turn me around Turn me around Ain't gonna let no jailhouse Turn me around You know I keep on I just keep on Because I'm marching on the freedom land I can't let segregation Turn me around Turn me around, ain't gonna let segregation turn me around. I just keep on walking, keep on talking, march.
It was nothing but jubilation. When we were at the Capitol and Wallace is up in the window peeping behind the blinds and he didn't come out to see my bandage over my head that covered the seven stitches. We had marched that 50 miles that they told us that we weren't going to march. They had to surrender the steps of the Capitol. It's a very triumphant moment. They told us we wouldn't get here. Now with those who said that we would get here only over their dead bodies. Well, all the world today knows that we are here and we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama saying we ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. I was a doctor. Nothing did for us what that did. Keep on walking. Keep on talking, marching on the freedom land. This is Johnny Blue Star, host of Inalienable and Free, the Voice of the Coalition, a program devoted to the development of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with a social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment.